Matthew chapter 7, as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount, what we've been calling um, Your Kingdom Come, as we've been going through the book of Matthew. And uh, like we said last week, here in chapter 7, we are now coming to a close of the Sermon on the Mount. And something that we have continually seen is that Jesus is constantly calling out hypocrisy. He's calling out, portraying on the outside what is false on the inside. And Jesus knows that the only true way for a human to change from who they are at the core of a sinful being is for their heart to be transformed by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And we always go to Romans 12, 1 and 2, where it talks about that it is only through Christ that as we give up everything, as we become this living sacrifice, we are, it says, do not be conformed to this world, and that is the world around you making you into the image that they want, but rather be transformed. In other words, the inside, that the Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus Christ did, because of God's love for you, that that is changing the inside, and it is being transformed, and now as it's transformed, it starts to change the outside around you. The world wants you to conform. We are called to be transformed through Christ. So as we read this passage tonight, and we'll start in verse 15, this passage is not contradicting what we talked about two weeks ago, which is do not judge. Instead of judging others, we are told in a way, and we'll look through the different passages this evening, we are told to be fruit inspectors. In this case, we are to be fruit inspectors of prophets. And it's very important to understand that we must use the Bible to interpret itself. I just tripped. We use the Bible to interpret itself as we Look, so if you don't know what I'm talking about at judging others, you can go back a couple weeks on the podcast because I will spend a lot of time on it again. So chapter 7, starting in verse 15. And if you would, just stand with me as we read God's word. It says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit, you will recognize them. Go ahead and have a seat. The first thing I want to look at is this word prophet. And there has always been a lot of uh, words used as prophet or as prophecy. Uh, but something that we have to kind of differentiate here is that this word, the word prophet in and of itself is a call uh, from God. It is a ministry on someone through whom God made known his word and himself to his people. Uh, when Jesus is performing miracles, people say, truly, this man is a prophet. 
meaning that, and it couldn't have been more true, Jesus, through his calling, through his ministry, was making God known and his word and himself known to his people. And so as we go through the entire Bible, we see true prophets and false prophets. And there are always a plethora of false prophets, starting from the very beginning to now. And a false prophet, the definition would be a deliberately, that word deliberately is important, a deliberately deceptive person pretending to be a prophet. So this is someone who purposefully comes in, they purposely have a a hidden agenda, and they are purposefully trying to bring people away to believe a gospel other than the gospel that we have, the gospel that Jesus provided for us, the good news. And then to declare a prophecy would be to declare who God is and what he is about. It isn't always about future happenings. Uh, We tend to think that a prophet is just something that's going to happen in the near or distant future. Um, And again, a false prophet is somebody who, if they declared that something would happen and it didn't happen, Old Testament was, you kill him, you stone him, that's it. It's quite a drastic thing if you got it wrong. That is not for today, by the way. So to declare a prophecy would be to declare who God is and what he is about. Now, we can think that false teachers are only people that have positions of authority. Uh, Somebody who is a pastor of a church, somebody who's in charge of something, somebody who's written a book, but false teachers exist anywhere. Um, In several churches I've been at, and I've been in a lot of churches, so it's okay for me to say because you'll never figure out which ones. But they have led small groups, they've led Sunday schools, uh, they've been on staff, they've just been in friend groups, and they just bring in. uh, uh, One Bible college I worked at, we had uh, I was, this is long before my time, there was an RA who literally got an entire dorm of people to believe that he gave them salvation. He talked them all into believing they weren't saved, and then that he was the one that provided for them. Uh, it was crazy. So uh, they can exist anywhere. And this was a massive problem then, even in the time of Jesus. The reason that people didn't believe Jesus was because there were so many false messiahs at his time. In fact, some historians believe that Barabbas, who they resist, some people thought he was the Messiah because he had come to fight the Romans, and they all had a messed up view of what a Messiah would do, and defeating the Romans was one of those things. So then we go into Paul, and Paul has a massive problem with false prophets, false teachers, and I'm going to use the two interchangeably just to clarify. Paul's constantly writing against these false teachers who are teaching another gospel. In Galatians, he says, then what I have taught you, or what that we see through Jesus. And all the way through today, there are false prophets, there are false teachers who are leading people away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus did it all. That Jesus came, lived a perfect life, was punished for our sins, took our sins upon his shoulders, took in his death our sins to the grave, rose again defeating sin and death, and now we have a living Savior, and he's in the world today. I'm quoting a lot of hymns on accident. And so now we can have this relationship. 
because of God's immense love for you and I, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it is, that is the true gospel. Anything that takes you away from that, anything that starts to be dependent upon me is not true. So this same problem exists very well today. Uh, in fact, right, I just read a recent survey a couple weeks ago, and I normally try not to read them, um, but this one was actually interesting. The world right now is the most spiritual than it has been in however long they've been tracking it. Meaning that people are seeking out a form of spirituality. Not the true spirituality, but a form of. And a lot of it you'll see is, well, that's your truth. As long as you believe what you believe. Hey, if it makes you happy. And that has become a, a form of spiritualness or spirituality that people have followed. This, if it's your own truth. But that was what we talked about last week in the wide road versus the narrow road. The narrow gate of Jesus Christ and what he's done and the wide gate of we thinking it depends on us, that we are that good. And so people want to believe their own truth, but the truth, John 17, 17, Jesus is telling his disciples, sanctify, meaning set them apart by the truth. My word is truth. So Jesus clarifies, this is what truth is. It is what I say. So how do we do this? I'm glad you asked because that's what we're going to spend tonight talking about. Number one, if you're taking notes, point number one, a wolf in sheep's clothing. A wolf in sheep's clothing. Very rarely does a wolf who is disguised, and I want you to picture, maybe if you grew up with cartoons, uh, when there was a wolf involved, a wolf dressing up. The wolf is hungry. The wolf wants to meet its desires, and its desire is to eat sheep because sheep are so stupid, and they are so defenseless. I really can't think of another animal that is as defenseless as a sheep, maybe a sloth. But from what I hear, sheep taste much better and are much more useful. So a wolf sees a herd, a flock of sheep. Is that what they're called? Herd, flock? One of those. And he dresses up as a sheep not to just distract or to disguise himself for the sheep, but also the shepherd. He knows the shepherd is watching out. And so he wants to make sure that the shepherd also believes that he's a sheep. Very rarely does a wolf show up dressed as a sheep and yell, I'm a wolf. Check out this sweet sheep costume I got. You'll never know. And the same is true with false prophets. They come into the midst wanting to blend in. In fact, a lot of times they will not only want to blend in, but they will want to blend in really well with the shepherd or the under-shepherd. They will want the under-shepherd to believe they are the best sheep, that they are there to help. Give me responsibility. I can handle it. And that's what we see with this wolf. He's coming in to the sheep to try to disguise himself because he is going to do whatever is necessary to eat. He's going to do whatever is necessary to fulfill his desires, to satisfy his stomach. And so he will go to great sacrifice to make sure that he wins. The warning here is a false prophet looks to fit in. They aren't going to howl like a wolf. They are going to baa like a sheep. 
and they will do whatever is necessary to blend in. So number two, this is we're going to spend a little bit of time, and that is testing the prophecies. How do we test these prophets to see if what they are saying is real or not? And I can't emphasize this enough, and I'm going to say it many times, the importance of your own personal study in God's word is of the utmost priority here. When we look at uh, counterfeit money and the secret service, which looks to stop counterfeit money, they spend the vast majority of their time studying what is real. What does a real $100 bill look like? What does a real $20 bill look like? They spend a very little amount of time looking at what is false. They study the truth. Because then when something false shows up, they know it right away. Because when you know the truth, without even knowing it, you will know what is false. So the importance of your own personal study is so important. Your time in God's word, as we went through chapter 6, talking about your time communing with God, your time in private fellowship with him, in praying and fasting and studying is so important. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I should have told you to turn there before I said all that last stuff. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 19. If you're looking to memorize a lot of verses fast, 1 Thessalonians 5 is where to go. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 19. And there is a lot in here, but I want to, uh, this is Paul writing to the Thessalonians, letting them know to be careful of false prophets. But he says in verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. All right, ready to memorize your first verse? Here we go. Say it out loud with me. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. You did it. Now, when you're back with your kids, you can share memory verses with them. And yours may be shorter than theirs this week. Do not quench the spirit. What is God revealing to you in your personal time with him? The Holy Spirit exists. His main ministry is to teach us and show us and guide us to be more like Jesus. He is that is why it exists. So when you're told, do not quench the spirit, you also say, become more like Jesus. Continue growing. Continue growing in your spiritual walk with him. And if you want to know what you're supposed to be, study it. You study Jesus more than anything. And you allow the Holy Spirit to do his work inside you to point you to Jesus more and more. So what is God revealing to you through your time spent with him about what is being said or taught? When you're encountering teachers, myself included, what is God teaching you through his word, through time with him? And does it contradict? Then we need to have a conversation. And I'm not always right. So number one, do not quench the spirit. The next verse. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. It means don't come into hearing someone share, let's say, for instance, me, 
and you walk in the doors going, let's see what he has to say this time. Here we go again. Tell us another story, Rob. This is great. Oh, you moved around a lot. You don't come in with this idea of this is not going to be any good. You don't come in with contempt. You don't come in holding on to feelings when you come to hear God's word. But test them all. But make sure. So you take away, you hear, you listen, you take notes, and then in your own personal time and study, you go back through and see, does this match up with what the Word of God is teaching throughout the Word of God. We must use the Bible to interpret itself. So we don't come in with contempt, but we test them all. Next, it says, this is the final instructions, hold on to what is good. If you go to the Word of God, if you hear a, a proclamation of who God is or how to study His good Word, and you read and you study and it matches up, apply it. Live it out. Say, that is truth I will continue in truth and learning. But then it says, reject every kind of evil. Get rid of. In my mind, that's what your stomach does. I remember one time I ate White Castle. That was rejected. That is what we do with false teaching. If what we are hearing goes back to our word, and I encourage people regularly, if you hear something from someone, first go to that person and ask them, please explain this. You said this. This is what I'm seeing in the word of God. Please help me understand this. Is there something I'm missing or is there something you're missing? But if it is wrong, reject it. Get rid of it. Spit it out. Walk away. And that is what we see in this passage in 1 Thessalonians 5 of how do we go about testing the prophecies. Again, it comes down to your study, asking questions. Our prayer at the end of every service is that we would learn to apply it, that we wouldn't just walk out, but rather we would go to the mirror of God's word, as James tells us, and look at ourselves and know what needs to change. The next point is what I originally called Paul's rules for correct prophecies, but I just changed it to biblical rules for correct prophecies because I put a passage from John in there. But I want to look at these because these are very um, defining in a lot of things I'm seeing recently, uh, a lot of things that I uh, am seeing um, problems that are sneaking into the church because of wolves in sheep's clothing. And so rule number one, I want you to write down these references, and please let me know. I can send you any notes that you would like. Um, but the biblical rules for correct prophecies, and most of these are going to come from Paul, is number one, it must be for the common good. A prophecy that is being made, a truth that is being declared about God or about his word, it must be for the common good. Uh, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. And again, this is not an exhaustive study by any means. I would encourage you, if you have uh, cross-references in your Bible, uh, as you study these, keep looking through the different cross-references. But I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, because Ephesians chapter 4 kind of summarizes my first and my second point. But Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. Remember, number one, it must be for the common good. Paul writes, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service 
so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul here is talking about spiritual gifts and the importance of why, upon coming to know the Lord, that the Holy Spirit gives these these spiritual gifts that they are for this purpose, that everything must be for the purpose in a church setting is to be for the common good. And that word, equip. How are we equipping each other? If you see the Hope Church t-shirts, love, equip, send. We love God, love others. We equip for every good work that God has called us to do, and then we send, we go out and represent him as ambassadors of the gospel. But we equip. So number one, it must be for the common good. Number two, right along with it, it should build up the church. It should be for building up the church. How are we a light in our community? The first thing we are told throughout scripture is how we take care of each other should be telling to the world that we love each other. And then they, and we've seen this happen through the grocery giveaways on many occasions. I know I've heard stories from so many of you saying people will come and visit church. They came to a grocery giveaway and they said everyone was smiling. Why are people happy? Or somebody told me they loved me. Or somebody spent time and prayed with me. So I had to find out what is this? How are we demonstrating? How are we building up each other, the church, the body? And that isn't just a individual church, that is churches working together, the universal church. How are we coming together? Those of us, as one pastor said, that are on the gospel-centered highway, we might be in different lanes, but we are on the gospel-centered highway. How are we coming together to build up the church? First uh, Corinthians 14, 3 through 5, Romans 14, 19, Romans 15, 2. Uh, but again, that Ephesians 4 passage kind of connects both of those two. And then number three, very important, it must agree with teachings in the Bible. Second uh, Thessalonians 2 specifically tells us that it must um, go along with what the apostles taught. But I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4 with me as John explains. And again, so many of the books in the New Testament, or at least sections of them, are warnings against false teachers. Everybody sees these people following and they say, I want in on that. How do I get people to follow me like Paul or Apollos or John? How, they're getting all these people to follow them. They aren't. They're turning people to Jesus, but they're saying, how do I get people to follow me? So 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. John writes, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. 
We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. That us being the apostles' teaching, that us is of what we have recorded in God's word. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. We go back to God's word, God's written word. I remember reading a book and it said, I believe, over $3 billion are spent every year on books about the Bible. Very few. I believe, I think it's still true, that the church in America is currently at the most biblically illiterate it has ever been. We have more resources available than there ever has been since Jesus was on earth, and we are the most biblically illiterate. We read books about the Bible. We read books about a lot of things. But how much time are we actually spending in the truth of God's word? So how do you become a fruit inspector? Becoming a fruit inspector. I want to say from the beginning, this wasn't in my notes. I remember, humility is key. The goal is to help people grow in their relationship with God. So we approach it with humility. Uh, there in verse 20, uh, we talk about fruit of the spirit and fruit of the flesh from Galatians 5. We read that last week. This, when they are doing this, they are walking in the flesh. When they are following this, they are walking in the spirit. And so when that is kind of the overarching branch of when we look at what we see, the fruit coming off the tree, we recognize the tree. In Luke's recording, and again, we believe that the Sermon on the Mount was um, something that Jesus taught regularly. Uh, we see different recordings of it, and a lot of what we see early on, in fact, the book of James is thought to just be uh, kind of a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount of this is how we can now apply this more. So look at uh, Luke, Luke's recording of this message that Jesus was teaching uh, in ver chapter 6, starting in verse 43. Jesus says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That stores up. A good man stores up good works. We, as sinful human beings, are incapable of storing up good things in our heart. It is only through the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit working in our lives, transforming who we are, and us growing in him that then we can store up good fruit in our heart that spills out. I use the illustration all the time. If I'm holding a cup of coffee and you bump into me and coffee spills out, why? Well, because you bumped into me. No, I put coffee in my cup. If I put water in my cup, water would have spilled out. It's whatever I'm filling my cup is, when something happens, that's what spills out. I would love to blame you for spilling my coffee, but I'm the one that put coffee in it. So what we do and what we are filling our hearts and our lives and our minds with when we encounter a bump is what's going to spill out. And so when we look at a tree, we can look at it, and I was like, hey, by my house, I have these magnificent orange trees at my house. They're huge orange trees. You come over in the fall or in the winter, and you're like, wow, those are the biggest orange trees I've ever seen. So you buy my house. 
And they're like, Rob, these orange trees aren't producing any oranges. Like, well, yeah, they're oaks. They're massive oaks. I have six of them. I'm sorry, did I mispronounce oak and make it sound like orange again? Ah, oh, I do that all the time. Why? Well, because it's an oak tree, oranges aren't going to grow off of it. And what we go after and what we feed in our garden, what we try to take care of and grow, and then the squirrels eat it. Those are the things that we nurture. Those are the things that we want to grow. So here Jesus is saying, by the fruit you will know what kind of a plant it is. So how do we become a fruit inspector? The fruit always reveals the tree. Not only that, but when we first started the Sermon on the Mount, in John 15, we said the quality of the fruit reveals the health of the tree. So one is the fruit always reveals the tree, but then the quality of the fruit reveals the health of the tree. John 15, Jesus talks about, abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branch. However well you are connected and grafted into me and are being fed and watered through me will produce not just fruit, but John 15, Jesus says, but will produce fruit that lasts for eternity. So it comes down to, are we grafted into that vine? Are we healthy? Are we getting the nutrients? We went through Psalm 1 last week. That tree that is planted by that living water will always produce fruit in season. So where are you in your walk? How much time are you spending in God's word, communing with him, spending that time alone with him? And then lastly... I forgot to start my timer again, but they put a clock up in the back wall. <laughs> Lastly, I just want to go over a couple things, um, and this is a lot of just what I've been seeing. Um, I would call these yellow flags or red flags or whatever. This is uh, just kind of my take on these are some things, uh, churches I've been part of, ministries I've been part of, uh, that you should take pause when you start to see these or confront the person, talk to them. Uh, some of you in here are moving away. It's very sad. Um, and something that we've had happen with military and with different people is they move, and then they start the fun task of church shopping. I don't wish it on anybody. I've had to go through it, um, and it's just not fun. And so uh, I'm doing this as kind of a, we have a lot of people that are from different churches here. We have a lot of people that listen, and so I just want to do this as kind of a overarching umbrella look. So just yellow flags, red flags, this isn't something necessarily. Uh, but I want to start off by saying, sometimes this is us. Sometimes this is us. These are questions that I ask myself. These are questions that I have people in my life who ask me or call me out on. I invite you to do the same. So the first thing that I see uh, is when in teaching, when there is a lack of emphasis on the work of Jesus or the gospel. That's a red flag. When you're in a church and there is a lack of emphasis on the work of Jesus or the gospel. If the emphasis is all about you or all about the person teaching, that should make you start looking for wolves. Number two, if the Bible is secondary or not used at all, if you're sitting in a service and you get done, you're like, wow, that was really good. Wait, we didn't even open up a Bible. I call them motivational speakers. They're motivational speakers. 
Uh, sometimes they will use the Bible as what I call a spiritual band-aid. Uh, they'll just throw a verse out because it matches what, with what they're saying. Uh, oftentimes it's taken out of context. It's why your study in God's word is so important. Uh, there was a YouTube skit many years ago uh, kind of making fun of a youth pastor. And he has all the kids. He goes, raise your Bibles up above your head right now. This is the living and active word of God. And it is powerful. And it is way more than I can understand at this time. Now put them under your chairs because you're not going to be needing those tonight. (laughs) And it was funny. But then I was like, oh, I've sat in some of those. I've seen that happen. So if the Bible is secondary and it is not used or not used properly at all, that is a red flag. Number three if it promotes self more than Jesus, Uh, if they promote themselves more than Jesus. And I am, again, don't hear what I'm not saying, (laughs) which happens a lot. (laughs) I I stole that. I stole that from Neil McGlowan, who says it all the time. I was like, oh, that's good. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, But when you go to church and you hear more about why you should buy my book, I'm promoting myself a lot of times. Uh, If you're If I'm just promoting, if the person teaching is just promoting themselves more than Jesus, that's a red flag. Uh, We are in a meeting with a group of pastors in the area, and uh, one of the things I'm so thankful for is the amount of excellent pastors in the area. In fact, I always tell people, if if you're looking for a church, if you're new to the area, please come talk to me. I will recommend five churches to you. And if you find a pastor that cannot recommend you one church, find a new pastor. There are some excellent churches in this area in Somerville. Um, And so, but Craig Tuck was praying and he said, Lord, help us be more about your kingdom than our logo and than our ego. And I don't know if it originated with him, but I thought, that's really good. So often, and there are um, podcasts that teach pastors, and again, it's not always bad, but they teach you how to brand yourself and brand your church so that it's recognizable so you can get more followers and how do you do this and how do you, and it's all about your logo and your branding. And again, not always bad, but yellow flag. Is the teacher more about their logo and ego than about building the kingdom of God? Another way I've heard pastors say it is they don't play well with others. If we're all supposed to be part of the church, we're on that gospel-centered highway, different lanes, if they don't play well with others, if they're more about promoting themselves than building the big C church of God, be careful. And then, and it's a little bit different, but they are more interested, lastly, they are more interested in getting followers for themselves than Jesus. They want people to pay attention to them more than the words of Jesus. That's also a red flag. And then I, we teach this, we preach through this on Thursday afternoons, we record the message that's online. And then Thursday afternoon after I preached that, I was talking to Mark, the pastor at Oakbrook Community Church. Several of you have already met him. And uh, I realized, oh, I got to add, if there is a leader who has no interest in accountability, if there is a leader who doesn't meet with other pastors and other leaders in the area and isn't, they don't ask him questions, if there are people in the church that you feel that there is this giant separating wall that you can't talk to me or ask me questions, that's a yellow or red flag. That's to have a conversation happen. So those are my personal yellow and red flags, things to look out for when you are listening to podcasts, when you are visiting churches or whatever it is. But I want to come back to this 
as I close. The importance of spending personal time in God's word and practicing it. If you go back to uh, Matthew chapter 7, getting ahead of myself is a couple weeks away. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus, as he's wrapping up, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It is one thing to hear. James says it is one thing to look at a mirror. And if you notice a massive problem on your face, whatever it is, and then say, oh, well, and walk away, you're foolish. We go to the word of God as a mirror to reflect what needs to change so that we become more Christ-like. Our reliance upon the Holy Spirit and Christ working in us becomes more and more. But you also have to practice it. When I was coaching different sports, one of the things that we did, and maybe this was different than any teams you were on, is we practiced. Does everybody do that in sports? Why? Because they're not good. They're not where you want them to be, so you practice. And then we come to our spiritual lives, we're like, wow, i got to spend more time in God's word. That's tough. I'm out. We practice it. We practice the importance of spending personal time in God's word and practicing it is of utmost importance. Lived out knowledge is the evidence of bearing fruit that lasts for eternity. This is how we bear fruit. This is how we are able to identify thorn bushes, brambles, and wolves is by spending time in God's word. We say this pretty regularly. Okay. All through chapter 6, we talked about prayer, fasting, communing with God, praying with God, how we pray, spending time with him. And we kept saying, okay, what's going to change this week? So we come back to that. What changes this week? What changes tonight? What changes tomorrow? You cannot know Jesus without knowing his word. The word literally means that the Bible is God's breath, that God breathed out this God-inspired word, that God breathed out. And John 1 tells us that Jesus is the word of God. So we know God by knowing Jesus. We know Jesus by knowing God's word. It's that time spent, that personal time spent with him where we block out distractions, where we go to his word, where we spend time in prayer, that is when we commune. That is when we commune and fellowship with God. That is how we start to be able to decipher the wolves and the truth. What we're going to do is we are going to go into a time of communion. Did everybody get one of these? That was an oversight. Do we have these out anywhere? Here's what we're going to do in the meantime. The old trick I learned back in, from my youth pastor. We're going to spend some time in prayer. <laughs> this is what we do when we go into communion anyways. It just happens to work out. And we'll figure out the rest when we get there. This is the importance of doing staff meetings, by the way. Uh, we got them. So let's do this. Let's, um, Will's going to go ahead and hand them out. <laughs> this is called Operating on the Fly. Um, what we want to do is we'll hand them out, and as you get them, 
uh, as we normally do when we do communion, is right where you are. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul tells us to spend time examining ourselves. That we go and we spend that time reflecting. That we spend that time and we're just asking, like we did last week, spend that time saying, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, reveal to me what needs to change this week. The question we ask regularly is if you want to know what you truly worship, look at your time, your money, and your relationships. How you spend your time, how you spend your money, and how you invest in relationships will tell you what you truly worship. So now as we are handing these out, let's just spend that time in prayer silently where you are.